The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Season 2 of Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is Australia's oldest, largest and most diverse retail body, representing around 7,500 independent, national and international retail members with more than 100,000 shop fronts. Significantly, 95% of our membership is small business, who are our focus for Season 2. Small business is big business. In this season, we'll be getting to know the people behind the small businesses that are the lifeblood of so many of our communities. We'll be chatting to industry leaders who are shaping the small business landscape and learning more about the digital innovations that are driving them to success. Joining me for some retail therapy today in the Amex Lounge is Steve Plair, CEO of Ferguson Plair Bakehouses, a family-owned business with a long and proud history dating back for over 110 years. Now, I'm from Melbourne, so I remember this particular bakehouse particularly well, and it's an iconic business, famous for its cakes, pasties and pies across dozens of stores across Victoria. Now, Steve is quite the character. I suggest you do get onto YouTube and Google him and you'll see um, <laughs> from searching some of the lockdown music videos that he did last year and you will not be disappointed, let me say. Um, so, Steve, thank you for joining us today in the Amex Lounge. Welcome. Hey, thanks very much, Paul. Thanks for having me. I have to start off with the lockdown music <laughs> videos you did last year. You became a viral sensation. National interviews followed. Uh, singing and dancing to Queen amongst others with your family. And how did that all come about? Was it boredom? You've got to be the campus straight man I know. So tell me more. <laughs> yeah, when we, we st- I started pretty strong with uh, dressing up as Freddie Mercury and uh, I want to I wanna break free. Hey, look, it was, uh, I mean, everyone was just beside themselves with, um, I don't know, sort of fear and anxiety at, at the start of that lockdown and I found myself at home with the kids and, um, as a family business, we, we thought, well, you know, God forbid we weren't allowed to trade because at that stage we didn't know if we were going to be deemed essential or not. And in New Zealand, they had fully locked bakeries down. Mm. And we thought, look, if we can't sell them, uh, you know, product, you, you know, we've always had a strong recognition that, you know, we sell people an experience. I know lots of people say that, but, you know, when you're selling cakes and pies, you're selling happiness. It's treat. It's it's genuinely, uh, you know, people are looking for a little bit of sunshine on a, you know, on a dreary day. And we thought, well, look, how, how could we deliver that if we weren't physically um, able to do that if they couldn't come to our stores or if we couldn't deliver and we thought you know we've got some good social channels um how could we have some real fun and uh and so i've had a, a previous unsuccessful uh music background <laughs> before before ferguson player where i you know i was still playing a band and yeah it's a hobby thing but for a long time i played played some music and uh you know i've got a pretty cheesy dad so the word puns were always uh, you know pretty close at hand and I thought I really wanted our customers to see that 
um, you know, we, we were a family business and we were worried, but we were there for them. And so it started with me you know, literally in the room that I'm in right now with my daughters and the phone and us going, oh, let's just say, hey, yeah, we'll reach out to our customers and say, look, I, I hope you're coping. Here's a funny little jingle. Mm. And I think we started with something like another one bites the crust or, <laughs> you know, a couple of other and, and people really loved them and it was just my daughters and I with no backgrounds or effects or anything and we stayed locked down. And so uh, and my, my, daughter, uh, my daughter, my wife um, reminded me that she did a media studies degree and, and she said, you know, why don't we really ham it up and do a, uh, do a Freddie Mercury thing? You can dress up in high heels. Um, we knew that would get attention just because <laughs> it, was a, it was a bit crazy and out there. Uh, and so we did that and we got the kids dressed up as, uh, as the other um the band members in Queen, and, yeah, they got some massive traction, probably not surprisingly, versus the standard pie or pasty post on Facebook. And so we did a couple of those and um, and sort of one thing led to another and, and Kate, my wife, would edit them all. Um, I'd do the, the singing and, and the whole sort of writing words to an existing song has been my sort of go-to cheesy dad thing for a little while and, and it, all, it all just came together. <laughs> Well, you all look like you're having fun. I've got to say, I mean, you, you in stilettos in that skirt and I want to bake free, which is a <laughs> different version of Queen. Had me absolutely in stitches, laughing my head off. And, you know, and I, I guess um, it, it looked like you hadn't navigated stilettos today. So, t- to date, so I probably would state <laughs> that as being fake. But, look, the podcast is not going to do it justice. So I do, um, uh, everyone listening today, you do want to go and actually do a bit of a search for Steve Player on um, uh YouTube and you'll get to see the um, hilarious uh, effort him, Steve has gone with the family, I might add, and have done a really amazing job in um, putting, I guess, a bit of fun into what's been a really tough time for for most people around the country, particularly in Victoria. Now, you, it's fair to say you, you, you do sort of, um, you're really a, a baker in a singer's body then. Is that the way to see this or what, what <laughs> came first? I, I don't know. Look, I, I, I genuinely... Um, uh, you know, I genuinely wanted to make sure that when I when I was singing and playing in a band that that you gave it every chance to be what you dreamt it could be. But mostly it was I just never wanted to ever um, have the regrets that I didn't get, give it a real crack. So, you know, my, my mates and I played in bands around Melbourne. We got a bit of radio playing, bits and pieces. And so I ticked that box. I've got, you know, I had a lot of fun. And the fact that now I can be the CEO of a business and use some of my use some of my skills um, to help with the brand and have a little bit of fun. You know, teach my daughters to uh, you know enjoy music and not take life too too seriously um, has has been great. So it's kind of lots of people are you know a bit shocked and and I yeah, that's kind of unusual and I've put it to good use and I'm just lucky. Yeah. It's clear you've had an incredible passion for the business, I guess, and Ferguson Playback House has a long and proud history. Tell us about the incredible story and how the two families got together. Yeah. Ferguson and the players. So tell us tell us more. Yeah, cool. Look, both families started really early 1900s in Melbourne. There was Ferguson's Cakes, there was Players' Cakes. Um, and they both, you know, traded through, you know, crazy ups and downs with depressions and world wars. And, you know, when one of them started in Brunswick and one was in Mooney Ponds. And so that, that was, I mean, was, that we literally started with horses and carts and they were they were not very part, far apart. And so when world wars hit um, and you couldn't get your hands on food and bits and pieces, we would, you know, I think our relationship across supply started back then. We might have been able to get our hands on some honey when you couldn't get sugar and they would have got their hands on some meat and, and we helped each other out. So, you know, Long story short, 
you know, each of the family generations passed down to the next level um, to get to the 50s and 60s and my grandfather and the equivalent on the Ferguson side were either um, president, vice president or vice versa of the Victorian Master Pastry Cooks Association and helped put together the William Angus Trade School. My grandfather was the number one um, uh, assessment judge for all pastry cooks across Victoria for wow. a good decade got to know each other really well and then sort of come the late 70s we had built a new factory that had a lot of space um, and they were getting to the point where they had no space in theirs and so my father and his counterpart and as I said we knew each other really well said well look you know rather than you build a new facility why don't you why don't we amalgamate you come and let's use the spare capacity we've got and become one business so it literally um, uh, in 1980 became Ferguson Clare Bakehouses. Mm. Um, you know, funnily enough, we, then we went through a good decade of the classic family crazy, you know, nepotism, too many, you know, too many drivers on the bus, all that stuff. And so we fell into franchising by sort of trying to clear out the board and <laughs> do a couple of yeah. things back then. Uh, and so for the most part, that was a really good um, partnership. But, you know, it's, it's kind of incredible that four generations of two families could last that long. It's probably no surprise that come the early two 2000s, we started to have a difference of opinion around where the where the future was, um, and and that just uh, in 2012, uh, the, the players bought out the Fergusons, and and we went our separate ways. So for right. for the most part, it was a terrific marriage, um, and uh, it is still the same business with the same products and everything, but um, it's just the player family running it now. Tell, tell us a little about Bakers. Are, are they unique, and what makes them different to other uh, industries? Do you think? Yeah, I, look, anyone who decides they want to make a living getting up at one o'clock in the morning and, and really, it's it's really interesting. I mean, even in our even in our uh, bakery today, you've got some really unique individuals who have, have opted to spend a lot of time with a small group of people. And and I remember when I worked in the bakery, same thing. You sort of get used to it. You love it. You go home. You do your shopping at ten o'clock in the morning. You go to the gym at one in the afternoon when no one's there. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's a really different different life cycle, but. I don't know. It's you sort of got foodies at heart, and uh, and they just love their trade. But I've got to say, that's hard to come by now. It really is. You know, it's almost got- a it's almost a vocation, isn't it? When you think about getting up at one o'clock in the morning to and a true commitment to deliver something for at a particular time, way before anybody else is asleep. Oh, it, it, sorry, awake. It, it, yeah. Whilst everyone's sleeping, they're actually your your your, your team are working. That's right. Everyone who wants to do it right now, they either want to be Heston or Zumbo or something like this, but, you know, you, you can't not, very, very few people can make it to the level where they can be rock stars at, at this at this point or, or yeah. they've got a um, just a, a food dream and they do it for a little while and then they go back to something else. But, mm. yeah, yeah, but, but back then it was, it was different. And your role in the business obviously started at, at a young age. Tell us what life was like for you growing up. What was it all about the bakeries and the business? It was funny. I um, you know, uh, when when I grew up, my dad was working six six and a half days a week, and he was getting up at two in the morning. He'd get home at three or four in the afternoon. We'd see him for dinner. He'd be in bed at seven o'clock, and so it was my mum who'd take us to footy training and and all those kind of things. Um, so it it was sort of it, it was bakery centric, but it wasn't. It, lots of people ask, oh, you know, were you always going to go into the business? And then the answer is no. Like, mum and dad never ever said, oh, you know, this is for you, you're, you're going to, they're going to pass the baton and you're the next generation. That pressure never landed. And it, mm. 
it's it's amazing that you know my grandfather and then my father and then my brother and I have taken over the business, but the, the conversations we had with mum and dad or they had with us was you know there are much easier ways to make money than getting up at one o'clock in the morning yes. and working your bum off, and that was so true. And so you know I I, I worked hard at school and then I, I did a commerce degree at Melbourne. All, always with the idea that I wanted to see if there was something else that I loved. But the truth of it was that I, I spent most of my youth growing up and I had a degree in Ferguson play by the time I was 15 because <laughs> I'd get home from school and I'd, I'd hear my dad talk about the stuff that he loved and the stuff that he hated and, and you know, the, the, the absolute um, anguish of going through the 1987 crash and his fear around that. So, you know, when I did my commerce degree, I always, you know, whenever I was in my, my lectures, it was always I had Ferguson Plur in my mind and how would that relate to this? And so when I got the opportunity to, to run the office there, um, I knew very quickly all the things that my that the information my dad would love to have that would allow him to run the business better. Yes. Um, and I very quickly got to work on that and I just loved it because it was real and it was tangible and, and it was our business and, um, and, and it's capes, right? I mean, there, there are lots of different businesses you can be in, but, you know, we make these things that everyone's excited about so it's short of being in a toy company i, I don't know what else you want to do no, well, that's right look there's there's certainly not a carbohydrate that i haven't liked <laughs> so i think all of us um you know who doesn't like cakes i mean you, yeah. you know it's just like a, it's like a it's a lolly shop right, for all of us so um amazing amazing story there you now you've won numerous awards over the years for your pasties and pies and i, I have to ask what is the secret to making the perfect meat pie <laughs> Other than needing to eat a lot of them to, to get them just right, it's huh. I definitely think it's the um yeah, the pastry's got a lot to do with a lot of this is gonna be really obvious, but but getting the, the flake right. And so if you make a pie at home, you can do something pretty special. But for a bakery like us, it's the capacity to make it and refrigerate it and send it somewhere for the experience you have once you buy it out of our pie warmer for it to be the same. So getting that right, the environment that it's in. Um, and then it's, it's yeah, you, you don't want too much salt, too little salt, all that stuff, great quality meat, making sure you don't have any of the gristle and the other bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, and the meat to pastry ratio, yeah, sometimes people are just like, oh, my God, I love a great party pie. It's because every mouthful you have has has a really nice mix of pastry to meat, whereas uh, in some meat pies it's all meat in the middle and it's all yes. pastry on the outside. Um, and the final thing I would say is just the shape of it. You know, you want to be able to eat it without it falling apart. You're going to have to stop there, Steve. You're making me way too hungry. <laughs> 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 but I will take all those lessons on board. But I actually, um, you know, that, that's amazing because there is definitely a science to all of this and you've had um, lots of time and decades of experience to to get the perfect pie and perfect pasties. So, um, and we know that because you've won lots of awards and that's certainly all credit to you and the family. Now, tell me, when you grow up, when you grow up as part of a family business, sometimes you have no choice but to follow through in your father's or your grandfather's footsteps. Did you ever want to branch out and do something completely different or were you happy to play your part? in the family business? Well, as I said, I like it. it was never expected of us, but, you know, I loved hearing the stories about my great-grandfather and my grandfather and, and you know, we, I mean, we served the Queen um, in the 50s. We served the President in the 60s. Wow. Um, and back then, like, my, my grandparents were like, um, they, again, they were like Heston or, you know, but <laughs> we're, we're a bit more standardised these days. It's a custard tart, a chocolate eclair, and, you know, everyone's doing a pretty good job of this. You've got to really work hard to stand out. 
Um, but look, I, I guess the only time that I genuinely tried to convince myself maybe I'd do something else was when I was behind a microphone and playing guitar in a band thinking, yeah, you know, maybe I could do this. Um, but no, nothing else. I, you know, when I was at uni, I did a couple of placements in firms and what have you, and I just, you know, I, I just I, I loved being around food and I, and I loved being in a family where, you know, I had a great mentor as a dad. Um, it was high pressure but exciting and yeah. I just you know, I never really thought of much else and my brother too he went straight from school was a great student but he just wanted to start making stuff and and he and I were very lucky that we didn't want to have the same seat on the bus um I've always enjoyed the marketing and the management side of things he enjoyed the pastry cooking so we're just very lucky that we were never sort of competitive in the well. same role yeah. yeah so where does the innovation come from for, for new products and how important is that in a, in a bakehouse which you, you you know you talked about you know chocolate eclair and custard tarts we've all know those those particular products from as kids yeah. and we love them so they're clearly traditional bestsellers you've always got to have them where does the newness come from I think, uh, look, yeah, back in the day it used to be trade publications, but now, you know, my, our customers hear about it before we do because it's on Instagram or Facebook course, or some new, yes. <laughs> you know, so it's super, super fresh. But having said that, some of the publications are, are still really important. We'll, on a weekly basis, get some stuff in from the UK and from Europe, and it might be a trend that started in the UK two years ago that hasn't made it to Australia yet. So try and jump on that stuff, try and own it as much as we can. There are not too many brand brand new things it's that food porn you talk about do you absolutely <laughs> it, it totally is and you think oh, if it's working there we'll try it here there, there are not too many you know super new things you hear about these sort of franken products where it's a you know it's a muffin and a croissant it's called a cruffin and right. you know you can have a bit of play with those things um but there's sort of there's nothing new in the zoo there so it's looking at that um, but the other thing is really, you know, access to food trends and, and seeing what's happening with plant-based and gluten-free and, and all of those kind of things. Uh, you've got those things at your fingertips. So we'll just try and find new ways to bring those uh, products or different flavours to our market, whether, um, you know, an, an annual execution cycle where we, we really deep dive into what are the latest trends and innovations and how might we embrace that with new products in the coming year. And how do you describe your own personal um, eating habits? Oh, it's you know, balanced. You you got to have uh, keep your gym membership up to date if you want to eat as much as the stuff that lands on my <laughs> on my. So are you that the are you the official t- uh, taste tester in the office, or does it go past many others before it comes to you as the CEO? It, it gets it gets to a fair few, and and really when you've got a big taste testing day, we recently like we're, we're just putting together a Christmas range for twenty twenty one. It sounds disgusting, but you can't swallow it all. Like you, you, you've got, it's a bit like wine sampling. You, you, you just swallow everything; it, it's just it'll kill it. So, um, but but you know, I tell you what, when you when you taste something that you really just want to finish, it's, it's, yeah, it's the ultimate test. And for us, for, for my brother and I, honestly, the stuff that we really think is going to go well, we bring it home, and the and our partners and our kids, uh, you know, tell us exactly what they think pretty quickly. Well, I reckon I'd be really good at that job. So if you have any vacancies <laughs> coming up, you just let me know. So that's like a good job to have. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit now about leadership. You've been CEO for nine years and have also held other senior positions in the business. Was leadership something that came naturally to you or was it a bit of an adjustment taking on those senior roles? Yeah, really, it, it was an adjustment. Um you know, when I joined the business, it was a lot smaller. My dad, you know, probably only spent, spent the last 10 years of his life really managing, like properly delegating and taking my brother and my brother and I a long time to really, 
you distinguish the difference between delegating and just palming something off to someone. And, <laughs> uh, and really, because, you know, we, we would just do everything back in the day. We'd be in cleaning and scrubbing and all that stuff. Um, so it's it's taken a while to learn that. Um, but but uh, it, the, the thing that I've learned is really, you know, making sure that I surround myself with all people who have the strengths that, that are, my, are my weaknesses. Um, and it's been through reading lots and lots of books. Um, I don't know if it was a guy called Jim Rohn or some other people who talked about, you know, looking at the paper, that the five people that you spend most time in your life with, and there's a very good chance that you're a reflection of them at a values level, at an intelligence level, all that stuff. And so I've just actively tried to make sure I don't hang around with twits. Um, and uh, and then as the business has grown, make sure that we've got, uh, and we, we've got a, a board, it's a family board, but having people who have done a lot more than I've done, my brother and I both at times wished we'd forced ourselves to go and spend five years working somewhere else or 10 years mm. working somewhere else. Mm. Um, but in the absence of that, we try and surround ourselves with people who have and take their advice on. Um, and, and I think that the biggest learning is just to know what you're not good at um, and not necessarily try and, you know, be thing, all, all things to all people. Mm. Yeah. Do you think the ARA has given you maybe that exposure from a network point of view that you may not have had, had you not been sitting on the ARA council as a good example? It, it 100% has. Um, uh, it's just been fantastic to watch it, it grow and develop, but to be around the table um, with, uh, you know, with, with fantastic people running larger and smaller businesses. Um, and, uh, there, you know, sometimes it's just walking into a room and knowing, you know, sharing your problems and hearing most other people go, yeah, they're my problems. And I go, <laughs> oh, <sad>. great. <laughs> it's not just me. Um, uh, yeah. It's, it's in been retail, the, the issues are obviously there's always a, a common thread, isn't it? It's usually staff or stock or something in between. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. Um, do you think, um, if you think about your time as CEO, what do you, what would you say, Steve, you've learned most about yourself since being CEO? Look, it is, you know, this is sort of, uh, sort of quite contrary, is to have backed myself more often, be more confident in myself in certain places, but but also there have been some other situations where I've been too confident. So, so right. trying to narrow that gap of, of, you know, working out what you're good at, what you're not good at. Um, but, but the things that I've held back on and thinking, look, I'm just not, I'm not sure if I'm good enough to do that. And in hindsight, I've looked back and thought, I really just should have done that five years ago. I'd you know, right. sort of getting seven consultants around me. And then there have been some other things where I've been too bullish and thought, you know, I should have asked more questions before I went ahead. Mm. I think that I think they're the two key things. Yeah. What do you put that down to, Steve? Do you think is it's is it more around people describe it as maybe trusting your gut a little bit more than you have done previously? Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and and then if I the times when I've been at risk of making bad calls is when I'm in a rush or excited. Right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, so still going to test, to, to um, check with gut, but have two or three trusted people around me who I know will absolutely tell me the truth and are not right. afraid to have some conflict with me um, is to test those things before I go gung-ho. Yeah. Now, look, I want to go back to the start of the pandemic. And apart from music videos in isolation, um, how did you and the business adapt to the lockdowns and restrictions to ensure the business could keep going? Yeah. Look, first of all, I mean, we've we've got 87 stores um, just in Victoria, lots of people and extended people who work for the business. And we thought, you know, first first check-in needs to be values. I mean, we were super distressed before JobKeeper kicked in and, uh, you know, we had banks hibernating loans and things like that. It, it was serious financial, um, you know, concern looking down mm. pipeline. But we also very quickly acknowledged whatever we do in the next 12 to 24 months, 
um, we want to be we want to be measured by how we perform when our back was against the wall. And so, you know, lots of people talk about their values. Yes. But they, you know, they can be thrown overboard when things get tough. We thought, first of all, let's let let's make sure that we use our values as our decision filter through this whole process. Um, and so, very quickly, trying to move to emotional support for employees and franchisees was was really key for us. Um, and and and. For ourselves, going into well, how are we going to how are we going to survive this? And even looking back to a couple of other situations in history where really tough situations had happened, um, and one of the things that I'd I'd looked into was is something called the Stockdale paradox, where Jim Collins talks about this, um, and uh, and talks about the importance of remaining hopeful and that you will always get through it, but don't ignore the brutal facts of the current yes. situation. Um, and sort of a, it's a PAW war camp kind of story. And it's just for anyone listening, the Stockdale paradox, a great, really great lesson in resilience. And so we just tried to impart this to uh, to various team members who wouldn't have the time to sit down and, and work out where, no. how do I remain resilient through this kind of thing. Um, and then other things like we had financial support, emotional support, um, uh, just help, help them get through their day and, and let them focus on just the next 24 hours if they had to from time to time. And some good advice there. I, I, I guess... Um you know, you, 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 in a franchise op- operation too, you're not dealing, it's not one big business, is it? It's a whole heap mm. of little businesses that you've got to manage through. So um, your, your mix between company-owned and franchise stores is predominantly franchise. Correct, yeah. Yeah. So you've got to work through quite a large number of people to get things done, but also to provide the support, which clearly you did through the pandemic. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, I'm going to come back to um, just a bit about um, just diet because we we talked about how much we love cakes, pies, and pasties, um, mm-hmm. and I, I guess people are becoming more conscious about their health um, and what they're putting in their bodies. Is this something you've always been mindful of? And how has the business adapted to meet those changing health needs of consumers? Now, if I recall, Steve, you're a vegetarian, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Okay, dude, tell us tell us more. Yeah. So, well, look. It, it has certainly been the last twenty or thirty years where we've you know we've all found out more about our bodies, whether it's you know from the the watches and the apps that tell us what's going on, and uh, but but for the whole history of baking, um, you know I, I think for, for thousands of years, right, is it's it's a treat. Um, no one's suggesting you should eat a donut every day or a, a pie every day, that kind of thing. And so we, we've always known that. We've never suggested people should overindulge. What we have said is if, if you are ready for a treat, if you've either been looking after your diet or you think you deserve it or you've been to the gym, don't waste that moment with some ordinary tasting product. Like, yes. You know, eat something that's really, really delicious. Um, so uh, but but then... You know, since the late 80s, early 90s, we've had a really strong focus on sustainability and, you know, forget the science. You know, you stand behind too many cars in the middle of a city and you you don't need to be a scientist to know that there's some ordinary things going to the air. I've got kids. I'm the great-grandson of the guy who started our business. I I really care about my my great-grandkids whenever I've got them. And if you, you put all the other stuff aside, I want... And as a family, we want the world to be left in as good a condition as possible for the contribution that we have made. So, you know, we use a lot of, we heat a lot of stuff up and we cool a lot of stuff down when you're, when you're doing baking. And, uh, and particularly my father sort of pioneered some of the stuff that we have going on in our current facility, which is 
you know, we create a lot of heat um, by refrigerating and freezing things from the motors. Can't we take that heat and use it to preheat our hot water or put it into the ovens? And the short answer is we found a way to do that. Um, and, uh, and so we've won some really strong sustainability awards. We've got solar plant on our factory roof where we uh, drive about 60% of our peak energy from the sun in the middle of summer and we're looking to expand on that. Massive waste um, program, uh, food goes to pig farmers, plastic, cardboard, all that stuff. Uh, and, uh, and we're looking to try and continue to roll that out into our packaging actually over the next six months and some other things like that. So that has factored into where we currently are with some plant-based products. And, and during this whole process, it's some really deep diving in carbon footprint and the carbon footprint of, uh, you know, of, of animal products. Um, and this is, a, uh, this is not a moral debate about if you want to eat meat or not eat meat. Our, you know, we, we make uh, cakes with cream and cakes and, and pies with meat and all that kind of stuff. But if, if we can help make ranges of products that are just as delicious and attractive for meat eaters or people who eat cream that might have a lower impact on the planet, including products that don't have meat in them, um, then, you know, then we're helping. It's the consumer's choice. We're just here putting a, a variety of products out there. So we started to uh, play with some really natural meat-based ingredients. We use uh, chickpea flour and, uh, and wheat gluten to create a really meaty texture for our meat pies, um, our plant-based meat pies. Mm. Um, and we started to um, develop some really, really delicious products. And so we thought, look, you know, let, let's take these to market. Um, but before that, uh, I had spent previously a fair bit of time eating uh, or, or not eating meat. And I thought, look, you know, I've just got to dive back in here. You know, the ultimate test here is for me to be, you know, entirely plant-based. And I have been now for a year and a half. Um, and uh, make sure we taste products or build products that, that I want to eat on a Saturday afternoon at a barbecue with a couple of mates. Um, and that's what we've been able to do. And it was really, it shouldn't have been surprising, but it has been surprising just how many uh, of our pies and our sausage rolls and our plant-based, 10% of our entire savoury range is now plant-based. That's amazing. And and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing this might grow as the people bring more attention to alternative products like this. Yeah, 100%. It, it's not... You know, I think it's it's wonderful people who are eating plant based because they don't want to eat meat for the um, for animal um, reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's 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 for health. It's for sustainability. Our kids are coming home from school having been taught about all of this stuff at a science level, and so the whole rise of the flexitarian um, has uh, has been key. And, and you know, and if people want to eat meat um, or, or don't want to eat meat two days a week when before they were eating it for seven, then um, you know we've, we've got some great products, and we'll continue yeah. to invest in that really significant. When you think about um, the future of Ferguson Plare Bakehouses, is it a time of growth or consolidation? What's on the horizon for you? Yeah, I th- what, what I've seen, speaking to some others, is certainly during COVID, for those who have been able to survive, um, uh, is that you've had lots of time to think. And I think there's a lot of, well, certainly for us, they were like, you know, we've got a couple of projects that we'd love to do. Should we do them? Should we do them? And I think COVID, COVID's taught us, you know, life's short. Um, <laughs> and it's also really compressed a lot of change and innovation and some of the things that we're like we think this is the right thing to do the last 12 months has made it really really clear that they are so no so for us it's time to be bold um as as you know as bold as we can be with the (laughs) with the uh the uh, the, the future that we currently have in terms of COVID and when that might start to dissipate and, and impact the business less. But in terms of diversifying our business, um, you know, going into product streams or sales channels that might help us navigate the next pandemic level event, um, those kind of things, it's, um, it, no, it's expansion and innovation for us. So, so do you see Ferguson Play going beyond uh, Victoria? 
Yeah, um, so the answer is yes. Yeah, a, a lot of people say, well, why aren't you in other states? Well, mm. you know, it's taken us 120 years to get to 87 stores in <laughs> Victoria. Um, and uh, if we were to if we were to go in, go interstate, we'd need to things, do things a bit differently with some partnerships and and just and make sure that we grew with our values intact. There's you know lots of train wrecks yes. out there where businesses have grown too quickly and at the cost of culture um so so most certainly but look one of our uh, ventures at the moment it's not ferguson player bakehouses but it's called pie society um and it's by our family is uh is a, a new um range of products that are into col- uh, sorry i should say woolworths um and uh some of the iga type uh, type businesses where we have uh pies into those channels the first time in our in our hundred years that's amazing um, di- slightly different products but that meaty vegan range of products mm. that i talked about and some other things and so us really trying to diversify and bring some great quality pies to uh, a channel that hasn't always had really great quality pies Congratulations. It's a quick way of getting a national footprint, isn't it, by getting into one of the large supermarkets. So, so Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so there's a, a lot of things on the minds of business leaders at the moment, given the ongoing impacts of the pandemic. Is there a particular issue that's keeping you up at night at the moment? Look, everyone talks about the uncertainty. It really is. You know, the, I thought last last year that, you know, the government moved quickly into a JobKeeper support regime. The banks moved really quickly into their support regime around hibernation of loans. It, it was tough at a at a landlord-tenant level, I've got to say, um, and, uh, and still remains pretty tough, but I just want to send a, a virtual high five out there to the landlords who have been understanding of our situation because that has been just so incredibly helpful for us keeping our doors open. Um, but it is just knowing how we're going to handle the next lockdown because there'll be another one and the next lockdown and the next yeah. lockdown. And it's just certainty um, and it's just breaking people at the moment. So so in that shorter term, um, it, it is that. Um, and just listening to businesses and uh, to great organisations like the ARA uh, because you, you're, you're at the coalface and we're at the coalface of all of this um, and we've got some of the answers and it, it seems a bit silly that we're waiting um, to be heard. Steve, it's been an absolute joy having you on uh, today's podcast. I've got to say, I want to say thank you so much um, for um, joining us in the Amex Lounge. Congratulations on the great work at Ferguson Player Bakehouses. We're now going to leave our listeners with Steve's rendition of I Want to Bake, I Want to Bake Free, produced at the <laughs> Player Isolation Studios. Take it away, Steve. <laughs> Thanks, Paul.
Joining me now for a quick fireside chat is Mark Newman, CEO at Dimix. Dimix, just like American Express, is over 100 years old. At a time when growth and innovation is everywhere and disruptive new companies are constantly entering the market, Mark, how has Dimix adapted to stay on top in the bookstore and wider retail sector? Um, For Dimix, just like American Express, being an iconic heritage brand means that our customers shop with us because we've many years of experience uh, of delivering great customer service. We know our customers intimately. Uh, They trust that we will deliver on our promise and that they are buying from authentic brand. Um, Both American Express and Dimux have had to innovate many times uh, over their 100 years in business to stay relevant. Uh, But ultimately, it's down to knowing your customer and understanding where you fit in the market Um, And that allows a brand to survive uh, over time. On on top of this, how has American Express supported you with its own experience of being a brand with a heritage of over a century? Yeah, we we get some great uh, insights from American Express. um, And, you know, that allows us to get further insights into our customers uh, that are American Express cardholders. Um, and we can utilize that information to ensure that we stay relevant to their needs um, and are able to maintain and grow our market share. Thanks for chatting, Mark. Congratulations on all the great work you're doing at Dimmicks and all the best for the future. Thank you. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes.